the grade cricketer is a Twitter stream. It's about playing cricket at the grade level. It's a tough, mean, dirty, dirty business being a grade cricketer. A lot of cricketers, you know, that's all they know. They've mm. done it since they're 10 and they have a deep-seated fear of change. But the grade cricket is all about being the most alpha version of yourself as possible at all costs and at all times. I don't bat or bowl. I just feel a gully, count the number of dot balls in a row, sledge 15 yards, make me feel better about myself. Thanks, Thanks champ. champ. Oh, no, you called me champ. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Grey Cricketer Podcast on the Diamantina Podcast Network. Demarcus Boogie Harris said, "Is a great circuit in Perth. And let me tell you, no one has ever been more sad to leave Perth before a Monday night than the Grey Cricketers. We're going to dissect everything that's happening in the uh, in the second test there. We are recording this before day five even starts, so but you know we can just we can figure it out. We can figure out what happens. Then of course, New Zealand are playing Sri Lanka in a test series over across the Dutch, and <laughs> the BBL starts tomorrow. My name is Ian Higgins, and I'm joined solely by Sam Perry this week. Hello, Pez. G'day, he goes. Uh, a shout out to our uh, colleague who can't be here on this show. Dave is over in Berlin doing very important business, scoping out mm. great cricketer opportunities <laughs> uh, over there in Deutschland. I'm going to start a little bit differently here, he goes. As you mentioned, we're going into day five. We don't know exactly what's going to happen in the test match. We're being very cautious about that. Australia mm. will win. Mm. Um, <laughs> I'm going to read something. Normally we read out viewer or audience messages at the end of the show. But I want to start with something I thought was a little bit special. I want to just to frame things up a little bit. I thought this was good. It goes for a couple of minutes, so just bear with me. Mm -hmm. I'll get it out. Okay, this is Mm -hmm. from Branners. Thanks for writing this in, Branners. He just wrote, fellas, this is in relation to some alpha chat we had last week. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, a lot of Coley, Payne stuff. uh, A lot of of stuff. He's in the media about that today. There's a lot lot of fascination about it. Um, This is what Branners writes. Uh, The day of the relentless alpha, like he of the unmoving face and refusal to engage unless an NDA is in place, is over. Just like everyone now accepts that clowns are the saddest people, anyone with a semblance of emotional intelligence recognises that the relentless alpha is no alpha at all. Instead, we are now in the era not of beta, but of the unassuming alpha. I'm talking about the man with great salad, toned levers and eyes you can lose yourself in. If he also bowls rockets and can direct hit one stump at the end of a very long day in the field, then all the better. He loves a beer with the lads and your missus would definitely break up with you to be with him, but that's okay, because you know he'd never cut a mate's grass except with a lawnmower and he'd definitely be the mate you'd turn to when you need a hand with some landscaping. And he asks a question, and maybe we'll answer this at the end, but to his question, would Nathan Lyon's understanding of horticulture and the growth of grass in tough conditions be enough to get him amongst the first picked in your landscaping 11? He feels that the unassuming alpha and he, so that's Branners, could just watch a few YouTube videos about the differing treatment demands of the grevillea and the brown-scented baronia to learn enough without the conversation invariably heading in the direction of the top 25 bowlers by wickets taken of all time. He says, all the best, see you in Melbourne. So he goes... Mm. Branners is onto something here. Hmm. You know, are you ready to He's declare yeah. the era, the era of the unassuming alpha, especially in the wake of Tim Payne's most graceful comments to Coley last night, uh, where he invariably kind of, well, he gave him a bit of a uh, like an intelligent hmm. touch up, didn't hmm. he? We're not, we're not used to seeing this. We're not used hmm. to seeing Australia as the nice guys and winning. In fact. In living memory, I can't remember Australia as nice guys who win. I mean, we'd have to go back as far as what. Richie Benno, <laughs> to think of an Australian side who actually were the graceful ones, were yes. the intelligent ones, and won. The unassuming alpha. Um, well, Pez, we had Will Somerville on the show 
uh, last week, and he was saying that you know uh, for a number of years New Zealand were trying to be Australia, and then you made the point that it's really come three sixty, and now Australia's trying to become New Zealand, mm. and it's better. That people are smiling on the cricket field, and it's yeah. fun. Like yeah. it's, I'm, I'm all about this new funny Australian team. Mm. Like no one got abused yesterday. Yeah, you know, it was just a, it's just some, just some witticisms. Yeah, yeah, it was clever. It was funny. It was something you can get behind. Yeah. It wasn't, you know, get ready for a broken fucking arm or whatever. Yeah. You know, it was yeah. just there was some circuit chat. I'm mainly pleased because this is good for our social capital. You oh, know, everything like, is, yeah. The entire <laughs> cultural prism is, really. Yeah. yeah. I was scared when I heard that Australia was becoming good blokes because I was like, well, what does this mean for this show? Yes. Um, you know, I instantly thought about myself. Yeah, what yeah. does this mean for me? Yeah. Um, so the unassuming alpha, I just think it's like in the real world, the unassuming alpha is the alpha. But like in Australian cricketing terms, like the alpha is the loudest, dumbest, most enormous person in the room. Yes. That's, that's, the, that's the jungle alpha. That's the mm. Australian cricket alpha. But in like real life alpha in everywhere else in the world is the unassuming alpha. Mm. So maybe Australia are finally catching up. You know, we've got the NBN coming. You know? <laughs> Do we? I mean, we talked about the mixture of technologies last week. It's NBN in name only. You know, Let's not go there. You know, we've got uh, you know fast trains yep. coming. You know, Sydney's popping in a light rail. Yep. You know, there's lots of things. You know, Australia's coming to the 21st century, probably, sort of. So is T- Tim Payne is bringing us into modernity. You know, I'm still flabbergasted. <laughs> I mean, I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves because when the Coley stuff started bubbling up, when he started saying, I'm the best in the world, you're the standing captain, when he was trying to get under Payne's skin and stuff mm. like that... And Payne was giving it back. He had to. He had to respond to yes. him, and he did, and he did it gracefully. Yes. Uh, I thought, yeah, like, you know, language is always the forerunner to violence. You know what I mean? It's mm. always in the language that you start using. Mm. Will Australia be able to manage themselves? Will Australia go out with the ball? Will Stark start lipping? Will, you know, they be able to take it? And they've actually responded really well. I don't want to herald the new unassuming alpha era because I think there's a few – we're just, again, presuming Australia's going to win this match, which yep. will sound incredibly silly Somehow when Fahari plays the greatest innings in Indian history. But um, <laughs> yeah. uh, And Pant, it should be said. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, when Payne started talking like that, I thought, oh, can is this, is this the way forward? Is this what success, uh, graceful success looks like? And if so, will we be able to handle it? Will, will it go forward or will we just wait till we get on a flat one somewhere else and, uh, uh, and revert to Well, type? let's see what happens in Melbourne because mm. I, I fancy – I mean, who knows? We were talking before the show about what this new MCG wicket looks like. But mm. like, I, I think typically – you know, MCG has been low, slow wicket, and that probably suits India a little bit more because of the Australian wickets. It's probably the most like Indian wickets in terms of it's a little bit dead. Yes. You know, and, and, the, and this Perth pitch. I keep on saying the whacker, and we'll get on to yeah. that in a moment. But yes, like, we will. But like, yeah, because I grew up in, a, in the time when, you know, that's where they played cricket there. Yep. Um, but, but um, mate, I, I think once, once, the, once the going gets tough, we'll see how it goes again. But I mean, I love it at the moment. I mean, I also thought that what Coley said isn't incorrect. In fact, it's actually very correct. Mm. You know, Tim Payne is a standing captain and yeah. Coley is the best player in the world. Mm. But the fact that he said that, I mean, it's one of those things you can't really say. It actually mm. reminded me, you know that footage of, um, uh, it's when Tino Best is sledging um, Andrew Flintoff. Flintoff yeah. And then, you know, Flintoff uh, says, you know, just be very careful. I've seen this, this, uh, you know, this game bite you on the ass. We'll say you are in three years' time or whatever. And then obviously Tino Best never played cricket again. Um, so it just reminded me that, like, Tim Payne's just been around the traps. And he, he, is, he is the senior pro. Mm. Um, 
I kind of liken everything about Tim Payne to a guy who used to play first grade and now he's playing threes. Now he's yeah. captaining threes. Yeah. You know, he's tough to get out. You know, yeah. you could see that he once was a very good player yeah. and Tim Payne once was a very good batsman. <laughs> he once was, you know, he's kind of harsh. He's probably the best gloveman in the world. Yeah. yeah. Well, yes, yes, yeah. he's up there. Yeah. Um, but he's just, you know, it's just like he comes to the crease you now, how do we get this bloke out? You yeah. know, if you're playing third grade and you're playing against a guy, the captain, who, you know, he's in his thirties, he's been around the traps, he just knows his game inside mm. out. You know, he might not be as once athletic as what he wants was but that reminds me of what Tim Payne is and I say that as he is the person who is currently captain of the Australian cricket team mate I think it's a very apt analogy and I think Australia's Australia's third grade side has needed an old head to come <laughs> yeah, in and like yeah. if ever there was an example of like the ruination of the shield system of it becoming an under 23's example mm. yeah, I think Tim Payne has kind of shown that up he's shown what happens when you bring an experienced head into the side like we watched old fashioned cricket yesterday yes mm. we're going to concentrate entirely on the verbals because we're a Netflix generation yes. who needs plot and drama but like if you know Kawaja's innings full of courage getting smashed everywhere, stayed mm -hmm. in, pain faced 100-plus balls for 37, 38 mm. in the first innings, just took the game away from India. And then to have the kind of, uh, like, the the wit and the poise to respond to Kohli, who was essentially barking at him mm. um, by saying, oh, the game's got a way of biting you on the ass." Like, you can only say that if you've played, like, 80,000 years of great cricket and <laughs> yeah. actually been around the traps in life where mm. you understand that sort of um, arrogance always covers a little bit of weakness. Mm. And, you know, he turned out he was right in that Coley got out straight away, but he would have been right in any other way too. Coley could have scored 100, but, like, Coley's arrogance will bring him undone somewhere else. I think Coley's fine. <laughs> He'll be fine in his life yeah. for now. But, like, we haven't been able to produce a player like that, like mm. Payne, who could say something mm. like that for mm. a really long time because our system doesn't produce guys like that. You know, it doesn't produce guys who've been around the traps. If you've been around mm. the traps in cricket, you get spat out by like 24 or 25. Payne's hung around. We're lucky to have him. And, you know, I, for one, am, in, are in, am enjoying the heralding of this uh, unassuming alpha era. Just to continue the Tim Payne as a third-grade captain of Australian Please. cricket. Um, yeah. And that, like, you know, we, we had him on the show and he was, he was going to a great cricket game. He was. You know, he had to drop the kids off beforehand. Yep. And, you know, we spoke about how he was going to, to take a job with Kookaburra before he was like, no, nah, I'll keep playing now. He's captain of mm. Australia. Mm. Just all these like life experiences, just like he's like, it's almost like he doesn't need cricket. Yeah, he doesn't really. He doesn't need. And this. you could see that on his face, couldn't you? When he was talking to Collie, he was just laughing. He'd been yeah. there before. Nothing yeah. was sort of, um, you know, making him flinch too much. Again, these are all the kind of, uh, mm. uh, you know, we, we sledge baby boomers all, you know, all through this show. And we yes. continue to uh, yes. while we go and neg negatively gear your third or fourth property, and we can't get one at an auction. <laughs> but experience and wisdom counts mm. for something. Yeah, you know, this th there is there is merit in having thirty-five year olds, thirty-six year olds in the side who have been around the traps. Mm. Well done, boomer generation and old people generally. Obviously, Virat Kohli scored just a magnificent 100 in the first innings. And nothing that we say here takes away from the fact that he, he most definitely is the best player in the world at the moment. Okay. I've got to say, not a great captain. He, like he's, he is not so a, you're talking ta tactically now? I'm thinking tactically. Talking let's, let's just shift away. I think, I think that you know, the conversation, the, the chat's been done. Every mm. cricket page in the world has yep. like shared what was being said. So you know, just, just tactically, um, he is clearly involved in the decision of not picking a spinner, a front-line spinner. Yep. Um, you know, Ashwin was just magnificent in Adelaide. Yeah. Um, and our opening batsmen couldn't play him, and many of our batsmen couldn't play him. So to pick, to not pick a frontline spinner, big decision. Um, Yadav is just 
an incredible bowler. I, I was saying to you, Pez, I reckon he would make... Uh, you mean Boomerah. Sorry, I mean Boomerah. Thank you. Keep saying okay. the wrong name on this podcast. I mean Boomerah, yes. Boomerah is an incredible bowler. I know bowler. you didn't mean Yadav because he's not an incredible bowler. <laughs> he looks a level below. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, we, we've been like all over how good Boomerah is. So. Yes, and he... He, uh, I think he'd make the Australian team. I, I think he's that good. I think he's probably better than one of our other three bowlers. You know, he's just, uh, but the fact that he didn't take the new, uh, he didn't open the day, uh, mm. on, on day three of the bowling and they did bowl Yadov, uh, first up. Weird decision. Mm. Um, so it's like, I, I'm not sure. I think Coley's decision making on the field, uh, is not nearly as good as what his batting is. So that's, yeah. I find that interesting. Whereas Payne seems to be making a lot of right moves, um, on the field. But then again, just from experience, probably. It's funny, you know, we're going to get really lost in the, like, the plot and the drama of, uh, and the morals behind the way the teams have been going at each other because it's clearly more interesting, uh, to the main sort of stream than the actual tactical cricket stuff going on. Mm. But, like, there's been so much good cricket in this test match. It's, it's, it's worth calling out mm. how good the cricket has been. It has seesawed. Mm. Uh, even the, the wicket has just fluctuated in character mm. so often. Mm. I think in a way that's made it really interesting. At times it seemed really docile. At other times it seemed like it's, you know, misbehaved massively. When the mm. shadows lengthen in the day, Perth, the whole city seems to come alive, mm. um, both in the wicket and then in the circuit as well, mm. as uh, Marcus <laughs> Boogie Harris was suggesting. Um, but so much good cricket, mate. Like all the way through the first innings, through to the fourth, the, the um, uh, like the neglect of Coley and the Indian side to not pick a spinner has mm. cost them. I think it would have uh, mm. like it, it would have changed the match mm. markedly. I mean, we were talking off air about the Australian side. Each of them has, and I include Hanscom in this. Like each person, like to a person, has contributed mm. in a meaningful way to the match. I won't go through every single one, but think about every player. They've all done something to kind of get Australia over the line. Again, mm. presuming that they're going to win this match. Hanscom included by taking that uh, catch off Coley, which, yes, was a catch. Um, mm. So, yeah, and, you know, I mean, how much happens in a test match? Mm. Uh, God, it was only a few days. You know, Nathan Lyons bowling in speed dealers. And, oh, it's yeah. fantastic. I think there's so many layers to this test mm. match especially. But I think, mate, I think so much of that is based on the wicket. And I know there's been some chat about, you know, the, the state of the wicket. But, like, like, no one's getting hurt, you know, like, so Tim Payne in the third inning has got an absolute brute of a ball from Shami on his way to six foot. Oh. It just popped up at him, hit him in the gloves, yeah. caught, a, caught a slip where Collie proceeded to laugh at him. Um, Always the worst, humiliation oh, being laughed at too. Yes, <laughs> yes, yeah. exactly, yeah, and on a cricket field too. Yeah. Um, and then and then about two minutes later, Pat Cummins gets one that rolls along the ground. I think that's exciting. I'm, yeah. all, I'm all for that. I Me think too. that's so much more enjoyable than uh, Australia batting first, getting 550, and then bowling out a team for 270. And it's just like, that's not that's boring cricket. And that's why like people don't want to see that. It's exciting to watch, you know, someone come round the wicket, you know, dusk. Yeah. And who knows where the ball, what the ball's going to do. I'm not saying, like, you know, every wicket needs to be as exciting as this one. Yeah. Exciting being an interesting turn of phrase there. But, yeah. like, but I, I'm all for it is what I'm saying. Yeah, no, me too. I th- you know, the amount of times in this match where Australia have kind of ground themselves ahead mm. through some, you know, what Langer would call tough cricket, whatever that is, yeah. um, tough pre-boy cricket, <laughs> yeah. uh, only for India to, like, surge back with multiple wickets yeah. and leave, you know, Australian fans thinking, oh, God, are they going to go on with it? And mm. then for Australia to grind themselves ahead again, India mm. to come back. Finally, it looks like Australia have kind of got themselves in front of the match enough to go on mm. and win it because India has a massive tail. I mean, mm. it has been 
really gripping. Um, it has been exactly what we've been calling for, and you have to kind of call that out and acknowledge it. So what I guess we're really saying is let's just ban our best two players every series. Every summer. Uh, because now we've got a close, enthralling contest. I think there's something about, like, India are the number one test team in the world. Australia are sixth, mm. you know, but, like, Australia don't like being the plucky underdog in mm. cricket. Mm. I think we like it in, in other aspects, maybe in football, maybe mm. in soccer, I mean. Mm. Um, we don't like it. We don't like the Wallabies losing. No. You know, the you know, AFL teams, you don't, we don't mind the underdog. You know, if, you, if you're watching a neutral sporting event or go for the underdog but yep. not the Australian cricket team we're not really yeah. used to that but you got to say we are the sixth best team in the world mate. we're losing our t- missing our two best players and we're yep. giving it a right good go against the best mm. team in the world with the best player in the world can um, I uh, like urge a little bit of caution just to you know bring down the fanfare a little bit like I think this Australian side in this match have performed really well I mean a lot of guys who we've said before are kind of six or seven out of ten have given more sort of seven and a half eight out of ten performances mm-hmm. on a wicket that is like almost customised in a bespoke manner to <laughs> Australian characteristics and techniques and play. Sure. And it has still been close for a couple of days, and that's with India uh, not even selecting their best side. Mm. Uh, that's the magic of a sort of a four to five test series that each, you know, where each match goes for five days, like it, it tends to spit out the best side. So even mm. if Australia do go on and make it 1-1, mm. which means that there'll be a, a, at least a live-ish mm. SCG mm-hmm. uh, test match, mm-hmm. um, I still would fancy India if Ashwin can get fit mm. to go through Australia. Mm. I think the batsmen imp- have improved a little bit. Mm. Travis Head looks good. Mm. Um, we'll talk about his dismissal shortly. Mm. Boogie Harris has done well again. It mm-hmm. looks like he's made for the level. Mm. Um, but they still look pretty, you know, like, pretty much like they, 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 I don't see who's scoring the ton yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think it's brittle. I, I I don't think Pete Hanscom plays again, and and man, I, I can see a real long stint out of the team here because like for mine, he looks a significant significantly diminished player than when he first came in the team a couple of years ago. You know, he scored two hundred against New South Wales the SCG, and that was like the breaking point. Okay, okay, this guy needs to play for Australia now. He came into the team, I think it must have been against Pakistan that year, and he did really well, scored some runs, hundreds, um, and then since then just seems to have, like his his technique seems to have regressed to the point where he literally can't play in the front foot. Uh, and he, he looks so um just diminished as a batsman that yeah. I, I don't know what he's got to do now in shield to warrant getting back in the team because he's scoring runs in shield cricket, but um, maybe against this bowling attack, which is, you know, right up there with the best in the world, he just looks really struggling. So for me, the change is going to be finished down to five and they're probably going to play an opening batsman. We've got Matt Renshaw coming on the show in a moment's time. He, By the way. Yeah. He, yeah I forgot to <laughs> yeah. say the top of the show. People yeah. are no, they, got, they, they can read. Hmm. Um, you know, Matt Renshaw is, drastically out of form. Uh, so I think it's probably Joe Burns who comes into the side, who, by the way, is smashing him in shield cricket. Or he's, mm. he's doing as well as anyone else. You know, people are calling for Stoinis. Um, he's averaged 25 in the last two seasons of shield cricket. RBS and he's, and he's injured. And um, and also Mitch Marsh, the 12th man. So he's behind him. <laughs> so yeah. for me, for me, the change is Hanscom. I don't think he... And I think Hanscom's going to be out of the team for a number of years. Yeah, it's it's really interesting. I mean, he, gee, he got uh, like he got roasted by Warney, yes, didn't he? Oh, the rival broadcaster, I must say, rules <laughs> on social media. But you know, let's just do it anyway. This is a podcast, Diamond Team Podcast Network. This yep. isn't Channel Seven, no. even though we're in Channel Seven at the moment. Yep. Um, yeah, Warn said, and it was almost it was like it was one of those like I'm not angry, I'm disappointed. 
tweets, you know, because yeah. when Victorians go to town on Victorians, well, that's when you know there's a real problem. And, you know, mm-hmm. Warnie came out and said, like, you know, I, I want to be positive about Hanscom, but enough. Yeah. <laughs> enough yeah. now. This yeah. is like a lamb to the slaughter. Mm. I've always said you can't um, do well at test cricket with this technique or something, mm-hmm. or words to that effect. Um, yeah, uh, like... I'm tempted to just back Hanscom for oppositional, um, right? Yeah, humour, um, right? Because, so, so that when he does succeed, I can say, "No, no I was always, I was always yeah. behind you." But like, yeah. this, it, w- it was interesting when he got out last time. There's a few murmurs um, with the people we were sitting with of like, "Well, he, he's going to he's going to continue to get out cutting because if you can't play a ball on the front foot, then you go searching for the." shots that you can play when mm. they're possibly not there and that mm. has kind of stood to reason in the way yeah. that he's got out and also that that mode of dismissal when everyone is calling uh or is questioning your technique which he by the way to be fair to him hasn't like tried to change despite howls of protest from every player who's ever played the game mm-hmm. that you must be able to play on the front foot mm. um to then get dismissed in the manner that everybody is protesting that like missing that full one that's cannoning into you know the bottom 30 centimeters of middle stump mm-hmm. um you know, it's one of those look like bad looking yeah. dismissals as well. Yeah. Um, can he get back into the test side? He goes um, without playing a straight drive. <laughs> I don't know how you can. Yeah. I honestly don't know how you can. Um, it seems to me that this is one of these things where it just highlights the golf in first mm-hmm. class cricket to test cricket because mm-hmm. I mean he, he's done as well as anyone in Australia uh, in this in the first you know five five or six games of the of the Shield season. Um, but just looks miles out of depth mm. in this test side. So I mean, I, I can't personally see it. I mean, what are you, what are your thoughts about my shout for Burns into the? Into I'd, the I'd bring Burns game? in, yeah. So like, I've been a fan of the. I, th- I still think they need six bats because yeah. I don't. I don't I'm just not sure, how, especially if Ashwin comes back in. Mm. Uh, I'm not sure how many of them mm. have the quality to survive to score 100. There's a lot of survival quality in yeah. that side. They, I, I do think that they're applying themselves really diligently with the bat. Um, mm-hmm. Occasionally letting themselves down. In the case of Travis Head throwing away. A couple which is are really disappointing mm-hmm. but um i think the six bats thing has worked well i would imagine the only reason they would bring in mitch marsh practically speaking is if they sense that it's a um a big batting wicket and the bowlers will get injured without yeah. um someone yeah. to replace them it'd be a sports science selection it's a sports science selection exactly mm. i don't think mitch marsh, mitch marsh warrants a spot uh with the bat mm. anyway i'd like to bring in joe burns like you know i've, I've I've been a white label off the shelf uh, product, um, <laughs> kind of stalwart for quite a while. I think he's the next. I think he's the next best cab. I think his game is in good order. A lot of people you talk to say he's, he is an absolute gun and he mm. deserves another shot. And he'd be a good salad rig based selection as well. You know, in line with the unassuming alpha. <laughs> he sort of looks like Pete Murray, but for cricket. <laughs> sort of bad shout. Also Queenslander. Mm. Um, Play rugby, Pete Murray. Can right. we talk about? Um, can we talk about? Uh, the sort of difference between the Wacker and Optus Stadium or Perth Stadium. Yeah, okay. I can't decide which one is which. Yeah, um, we were very lucky uh, enough to perform at the Wacker on Thursday, Friday night. Mm. Friday night. Um, in a room, we should say, not on the centre center square. We didn't get a centre yeah. wicket in, unfortunately. Yeah, so it was um, packed 17,000 house. But it was, uh, look, from a personal perspective anyway, like just having a beer before the show started out in the grandstand, oh, yeah. looking at the Wacker, yeah. it was just like I've watched many games of cricket here and there's, yeah. just, there's a lot more character and stuff. Yeah. And then you can literally see over... Behind this, uh, the the scoreboard there at the Wacker is this like just behemoth. Yeah, a monolith. Stadium. It's a monolith in the background, 
And it's like if you ask people, I think we asked the crowd and they said, no, we prefer Optus Stadium. Yeah. And I can sort of see why because it's like there is shade. Mm. I wouldn't fancy being at the Wacker because there's like, there's like no shade at the Wacker anywhere. Yeah, it, it's hard to explain. So like we talked to a few locals and – Obviously, just being, you know, people who love the boutique stadium and all the nostalgia and everything, we're like, oh, I'd just love if it was at the Wacker. There was 19,000 off the stadium, would have packed out the Wacker, et cetera, et cetera. And the locals are fair about it. They're like, yeah, we understand. But if this is the ground that you watch your cricket at every year, you would change your mind about it because it is like, you know, you go over to the Wild West where everything's bigger. Perth is the alpha city of Australia. Um, everything's hotter, brighter, et cetera. It only takes about like, an hour to realise, oh, my God, I'll die sitting here all the time. <laughs> it was great to sit in the Wacker, though, beforehand, yeah. like before the show. You could feel like the sunlight was just kind of mm. – it was, it was dappled, you know, mm. over the ground. You could feel the cricketing spirits, you mm. know. You could feel like Brett Lee coming in with the Fremantle doctor and Mark Wars shot oh. over the um, – over the Lily the Marsh stand. Yeah. Lily Marsh stand, thank yeah. you. Uh, it, it would have been really nice to have watched a game there, but you, you do have to listen to the locals who are like, this is fucking shit house <laughs> if you're here all the time. Yeah, totally. And I was listening to uh, Christine Matthews, who's uh, head of the WACA, mm. uh, on Grandstand the other day, and she was basically saying the same thing. You know, there was there was you know, good numbers for the test match, uh, you know, 19,000, 20,000 people there, which would sell the WACA. But it's funny because, like, when you look at, like, the UAE games and like you think well there's fucking no one there like the Optus Stadium looked almost identical except I mean, there was, I mean there's 20,000 people there yeah, to be yeah. fair but it's like it did it, it is a little bit soulless might not be the right term yeah. but but it's a it's a football stadium it's a football stadium. It is, yeah. It's one of those, it's one of those kind of like a cavernous stadia that's yeah. kind of like yeah. built for like three contests a year, which probably bring in more tourism money than like small stadiums, filled, small grounds filled. So it's a, it's a like a bit of an economy play, which kind of sucks. When you do walk into it, like it does feel quite like um, rousing to see it, but like it's only ever gonna is only ever going to pack out for a couple of prelim finals, you know, and some big bash stuff. So mm. I do hope, like, Test Cricket somehow gets to the point where it would pack out and, and you know, generate enough interest where, you know, like 100 there could really be celebrated at, because there's great, like, acoustics there. All, all the, uh, like, facets are there, just mm. not the interest in the sport. <laughs> <laughs> More people listen to this podcast than people attended the days of the test match. Oh, just just quickly, um, Perth uh, they they want they want either the New Year's test or the Boxing Day test. Mm. That's what they want. Yeah, stay in your lane, Perth. Is that stay what in your saying? lane. Stay in your lane, Perth. Stay. Now that we're back from the west coast, yeah, we're like firmly we're ensconced on the east coast. Yeah. Stay in your lane, Perth, <laughs> and come to our shows more than you did. <laughs> nah, respect. <laughs> Just on that note, just before we go, we, we head to uh, Jeff Lemons coming on the show and then Matt Renshaw. Um, there are uh, still a few tickets left for the Melbourne and Sydney shows. They are going to sell out. We are going to be uh, in Melbourne on the 27th. That is day two of the Boxing Day Test Match because that comes after the 26th of December. We're going to be at the Corner Hotel, which is just the most ridiculous music venue in history. So apparently um, uh, uh, Jack White of the White Stripes wrote Seven Nation Army backstage. You know that? Cool. He what wrote- are we going to write? The uh, ten people you'll regrettably find at your local cricket club. <laughs> <laughs> Each to their own. Both classics. Both classics. And then we're going to be in the comedy store day one of the Sydney Test on January 3 in the evening. I repeat, both those shows are going to sell out. So get tickets now if you want them. 
want to come to the show. If you want to come to the show, you'll need to buy tickets. Our tour manager, Albert, who's got immaculate skin, he was saying... Beautiful skin. If he, you meet Albert, yeah, remark upon his skin. Absolutely phenomenal Gorgeous. Stuff. That's incredible. And uh, he does really good um, dummy Ask TJC questions as well when we, uh, <laughs> we do a sound test. He was In 94, I took three wickets. <laughs> am I the beater? Oh, my dad? Yeah. <laughs> He's got the formula down pat. He was he was saying to me that like one thing that we go up against is that like men have to buy the tickets. You know, if it was like if women were buying it, they would hear about it and they'd just go, "Oh, we buy the tickets." Yeah. We didn't straight away. Whereas like men be like, "Ah, oh, should I text someone? Any th- thoughts?" Oh, I might be a bit pissed off the cricket. Yes, you will be, and that's okay. It's exciting. It's a lock in. It's a lock in. That's what we're it's doing. It's a lock in. Yep. All right, that's that show promoted. Uh, so Melbourne twenty seventh corner hotel. Sydney, January 3, at the Comedy Store. Tickets, you can get them through the internet. Go to our Facebook page. You know the drill. All right. Uh, any other business? No, nah, I mean, New Zealand and Sri Lanka are playing a test match. Tom Latham scored the highest uh, sc- score by a batsman carrying, carrying his, his bat, bat. 264 yeah. knots. So well done, Tom. Ordinarily, that would be the like feature yes. event of any test cricket calendar, mm. let alone mm. week, but... Mm. Unfortunately, it's not from Australia and we mm. live in our own bubble. Mm. So, sorry, Tom. Congrats. And Tim Payne said something funny to Virat Kohli and Demarcus Boogie Harris also said something funny. So Demarcus Boogie Harris said circuit. So, let's talk <laughs> for 10 minutes about that instead of Tom Latham's 264. It's two, 2018. It's a Netflix generation. It's plot. It's drama. It's character-based. Sorry. That's where cricket's going. <laughs> Jeff Levin coming up. Well, everybody, here goes especially who I'm looking at. Uh, it's his first appearance on the show this season, but mm-hmm. a long-time friend of the show mm-hmm. as well. He's a cricket writer with The Guardian. He's also a, a broader writer than that. I'd say he does some excellent work outside cricket as well. Um, definitely a wordsmith. He's a broadcaster also. You can hear him on the ABC. He was on Wisden as well recently. He's all over the shop. Surprisingly tall also, this guy. Um, and finally, the author of a great book out this Christmas called Steve Smith's Men. I'm talking about Jeff Lemon. Jeff, welcome to The Great Cricketer. How are you? Nice to be here. Nice to have you on as well. You're in Perth at the moment. We're talking as we go into day five. Uh, you know, what, run, yep. us through, run us through the, uh, you know, the grist of the mill, the zeitgeist. What, what are the press guys talking about as we head into day five? <laughs> um, well, they're talking about not so much cricket stuff because Australia's basically got the test wrapped up unless there's an absolutely sort of freakish um, escape win, in which case I'm going to look really stupid when this comes out. After yeah, on us too. It's all good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but no, it seems like everybody's super excited about um, yeah, Tim Payne getting into a bit of a, a mouth-off battle with Virat Kohli yesterday. And it was all very nice. It was all very PG. You know, nobody was um, calling each other any kind of bombs. But, um, you know, the fact that there was some niggling back and forth, people, they seem like disproportionately revved up by it. They're like, oh, check it out. Tim Payne. Oh, he's such a, you know, a classical wit. that It's like, okay, it, it, I don't think any Anything that he said was particularly hilarious, but yeah. the people just like the fact that there's an Australian captain giving a bit back, and and uh, they're, they're maybe disproportionately excited by that. Yeah, I, I, like, I wouldn't say you know he was Bill Hicks in his wit, um, but similarly <laughs> he wasn't you know AB in his pomp either. There was kind of some something in the in the middle. Like, what is it about our fascination with verbals, Jeff? Like, do you think it's a specifically Australian thing? Do you think it's a cricket thing? Um, I agree with you. It's definitely the number one story. I think it's a Netflix generation thing um facetiously <laughs> like, like like where does it come from 
I, I don't think it is just an Australian thing because there's a massive tendency to take normal human characteristics and then ascribe them as national characteristics. Mm-hmm. So, you know, like Australians will say, oh, you know, it's really Australian. We like having a drink and a barbie. And you're like, yeah, no other countries like alcohol and cooking meat. That's just <laughs> you know? um, or, or, or Australians are like, oh, you know, it's Australian, the Southern Cross, a constellation that you can see from over half the planet, which is also on the flags of about 20 other countries. It's very Australian. <laughs> so I, I put it a bit in that sort of camp where, you know, people go, oh, feisty cricket with a bit of verbals. Oh, Australians, we love that. Everyone loves that. Every other country, when that happens, that's what gets the attention. That's what, you know, gets the cameramen on it um, when there's a bit of back and forth between the teams. Um, but at the same time, we've got this uncomfortable divide where we're sort of more people now are acknowledging that the Australian team uh, basically have been assholes on the field for a very long period of time and that maybe it's time to, to correct that a bit. So we sort of, you know, we, we want the, the, the conflict, but we don't want it to be ugly sort of conflict. So it's a, it's a pretty precarious balancing act. Yeah. Jeff, we were talking about um, before the series about, you know, whether it was important for Australia to win the series or to win back the hearts and minds of the Australian public. And, like, mm. there's been so much good that's happened on the cricket field, the actual execution of the sport by the Australian players. But, like, mm. all anyone wants to talk about, all of our notifications are, who's a good bloke, who's a bad bloke, did you see this, did you hear this, yeah. wasn't this funny? Mm. So, like, do what we just want is we just want, like, just nice blokes to be playing for the, the you know, playing, playing the code in, in Australia, or do we actually really need to win this series? Is that binary? Uh, it's, it's not quite. I, I think... I think it would be very hard for Australia to win people over without winning the series. But Mm. I guess if they came close, something like the loss in Adelaide, people liked it because it was feisty, because you had the lower order battling away and they very nearly made the runs and and, and people liked the spirit. And then they also liked the fact that that Australia's come out in Perth and and given back um, hard, you know, given as, as good as they've got in terms of the fast bowling and... Um, and a couple of players being willing to take it on as well. So it's maybe not absolutely essential to win the series if it's, if it were lost in a sort of, um, in, in a way that does win people over, you know, in, in a way where people feel like they've got something out of this team. Mm. But, um, saying that, you know, that, that only goes so far, you know, honourable losses only will only be tolerated for so long. And Australians are very used to winning and they mm. don't take losing very well. I can see an XY like axis with honourable defeats and appropriate sledging <laughs> put pit against like winning via bullying and uh, yeah. outright abuse, mm. and we need to be somewhere in um, the honourable losses quadrant at the moment. But yes. um, Jeff, just to continue on the like verbal theme and not discussing any technical aspect of the cricket at all, <laughs> do you sense? I don't know if you get this in the press box, but like. Do, have they turned up the stump mics on the broadcast? Mm. Like it seems to be a oh, like, yeah. seems to be double what I've ever heard before. Do yeah. you know much about that? And if so, why I say that? Actually, sitting in seven studios at the moment, could probably ask myself. But <laughs> yeah. have, have you got to the bottom of that? Uh, what I understand it to be is that this is a, a Foxtel. Um sort of mission more than a 7-1. Um, I'm not sure if only one broadcaster has control over it, but um, I think also the playing regulations changed. We recently, you know, it used to be an ICC regulation that the stunt mics were supposed to be down between deliveries. Basically, you'd turn them up as the bowler was running in um, and then turn them down as soon as the ball was played um, so that you get the sort of nice sound effects of, you know, the spikes 
scuffing and the and the mm. bat on ball and the rest of it. But you wouldn't then get the wicketkeeper going, "Oh shit, shot, mate! That was shit shot. Oh, I wanted to play a good shot. That was shit." Um, you know, because that just was that interesting. Um, or whatever the equivalent version of that is is in Hindi, because Rishabh Pant has been very verbal um, behind mm. the stumps yeah. as well for India. Um, so I, I think that regulation was changed, and so you can have the stump marks up the whole time. I mean, they had them up the whole time in South Africa when, when Australia was touring mm. South Africa mm. earlier this year. You know, we could certainly hear everything coming through the, the radio headphones. Mm. Um, but then for this series, we can hear everything because they, they're just leaving them up the whole time. So mm. the Australians are aware of that. There's no way Tim Payne didn't know that. You know, yesterday, day, or sorry, day four mm. of the test for, in podcast land, there's yes. no way he didn't know when he was keeping that whatever he said wasn't going to be picked up. You know, he knew that his lines were going to be picked up. So mm. he was, he was, it was sort of a PR campaign as well as you know actually trying to have an influence on the game mm. i wonder who his writer is um mm. anyway uh Je- you just mentioned the south africa tour jeff let's it's, it's actually don watson weirdly <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> well it's not darren lehman yeah that's right um you have written a very interesting book called steve smith's men which is based on your experiences of being there in south africa when it all went down it does relate to what we've been talking mm. about Anyway, um, if people are going to pick this up for Christmas in order to mend relationships um, with family members or if their unsuspecting aunties want to give it to nephews who have a cricket bat in their house, um, what can they expect from the book? Uh, well, basically it was this. there's a hell of a good story to tell from that mm. tour. I mean, not necessarily a great story in terms of um, you know, ethics or morals, but you know, it's a very interesting story. Um, and being over there, there weren't many of us covering the tour, so we sort of came home from that trip thinking, well, you know, there, was, there were six or eight Australian reporters covering that trip, um, and, and no one really knew what had gone on on the ground sort of in, in more close-up detail. So I wanted to tell the version of the story that I would tell someone one, you know, over a beer in a pub, sort of the the the, the more interesting side of it, um, and and you know there was a lot of bizarre things that happened. There were a lot of funny things that happened, and, and it was also very sad and very emotional at the same time. So it was it was a real roller coaster of a trip. You're sort of watching people's lives fall apart in front of your eyes. Um, it wasn't really fun at the time, but it, it was interesting. It was, it was fascinating. So I wanted to tell that part of the story, but I also wanted to give people a much broader understanding of that subject because, you know, Mm. everyone I hear talking about it has this really narrow view where it's, you know, it's simplified. It's like either, oh, David Warner's a dickhead and it's all his fault or it's, um, Mm. you know, Australian culture is terrible. But they're these kind of broad sweeping statements and there's actually so much detail to why things went the way they did and the fact that it wasn't just something that was part of the last six months or the last year. It was something that was part of the last 20 years at least. So there's so much detail to delve into about, you know, where things came from, where different motivations and influences came from, um, and also just to try to lay out a lot of the, the detail of exactly what led to those events, which which people don't really seem to know. So mm. I've just pieced together a lot of uh, a lot of little threads that say, well, this leads to this and this leads to that, and you know, the hip bone's connected to the knee bone or mm. whatever it is. Probably probably not actually. If you, you know, it's not going to work very well. No, but, that's a thing. Um, mm. 
but uh, <laughs> yeah, but but that there are connections between all these things that mm. that um, people don't necessarily draw unless they unless they look at it forensically. So that's what I've mm. done, and, and I've just tried to lay it out so that people can get it, get the broadest understanding of what went on. Mm. Jeff, we're, we're sort of talking about you know the broadcaster's influence on on these things. You know, stunt mics being turned up, etc. Mm. I mean, you and I have spoken previously in the past about you know th- what the Safrian broadcaster's role in all this was because the, the actual incident itself, if we cast our minds back and how choreographed everything was, you know, there was a camera on Hanscom, there was a camera on um, Lehman, there was a camera following the ball and there was one on um, Bancroft the whole time. So, like, was there some sort of, like, you know, tip-off with, uh, you know, with the, the suffering broadcasters over there that actually knew what was going on? Because it was so well captured in, in cinematography. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and that, that's something I've gone into some detail in the book about mm. how that panned out but um yeah it was coming from the previous test in port elizabeth where the um the south african team was pretty sure that the australians were up to something shifty with the ball in port elizabeth and they'd um passed on information to broadcasters who had started looking for it people had started talking about it um there were news reports that um that david warner might be up to something but there was nothing definite and so for the next test in cape town suddenly he hands over ball duties to Cameron Bancroft for the first time ever. Um, and so, you know, the official story is that suddenly on the third day they decided to sandpaper the ball for the first time, having never done it before and never thought of doing it before, which is a bit of a stretch, I think, for mm. credulity. Um, but, there, you know, there was... The, the broadcasters already knew that something was up and they had, you know, they had, I think, eight or ten cameras on Bancroft. They were following him relentlessly. Um, and then once they got footage of him, they held it back until such time as they were, you know, ready to spring the trap, basically had all the other cameras in place. So then they played it on the big screen at the ground and then they got the extra footage of him hiding the evidence. So put it all together, it, it was a very comprehensive thing. But it raises this interesting question that, you know, the broadcaster is a private company. Mm. Um no one's ever been caught ball tampering by their own cameramen. You know, it's always the, literally every single time in in history that someone's been picked up on camera, it's the visiting team. Um, so you know, you've got the ICC don't police this; they have the, the rules against ball tampering, but there's no one monitoring it. There's no one looking out for it aside from the umpires having a look at the ball at the end of each over and saying, mm-hmm. you know, what can the umpires say if, if they find scratches on the ball or something? They don't know how they got there. They can't prove someone did it deliberately. So they've got no recourse, you know. Mm. Um, so it's this bizarre sort of no man's land where we we all say, oh, this is illegal and it's terrible and it should be banned, but there's no policing of it. It, mm. it seems like it, it, it needs to be one or the other. Either it needs to be enforced or it needs to be legalised. Mm. It's, it's interesting, Jeff, because I think a lot of us would be would feel a little worn out by sandpaper talk and keen to move forward with the Australian side. Mm-hmm. Where, you know, and, and that's probably part of why we're glorifying what Tim Payne has done yesterday, myself included. Um, but it's funny. It's interesting from what you've just said then, and there's certainly aspects in your book that kind of raise this as well. Um, there are still things about that incident, which has had such an effect on Australian cricket, a lot of reflection in Australian cricket, um, that haven't been answered yet or things that are unknown uh like do you think um there and i I suppose i include yourself in this but like you know are there people who are still trying to find out more about what happened in relation to sandpaper who was in charge who did it what actually happened how long has it been going on for do you think there's an appetite in the australian public to learn more about it as well do you think we've heard the end of all the information officially at least around what happened with sandpaper 
Oh, I don't think there's much of an appetite for it at the moment because, you know, people are, are pretty over it. Um, but there would be an appetite if new information were revealed. And, and I think the big important thing is that none of the players have actually said what happened. None of them have come out and spoken about it. So we still don't have the story of what happened. What we ha- The only thing we have is this charge sheet that Cricket Australia put out in March when they charged the players, which said, you know, David Warner's charged with doing this, doing this, you know, um, developing a plan to tamper with the ball, instructing another player, you know, concealing his involvement, for instance. Mm. But we don't know what that means. We don't know how that panned out. What was the time frame? You know, when did Steve Smith find out about it? Did he did he notice sort of as he was walking back onto the ground on day three or did he know about it in previous matches? You know, what? we don't know any of that because the players haven't spoken mm. and they're not likely to speak until their attempts to revive their career have either succeeded or failed. Mm. So I think David Warner is probably sitting on a bunch of dynamite. Um, if he wants to blow up the Australian team, he can, but he's not at the moment because he wants to make a comeback. Mm. If, if he's blocked from making that comeback, he might hit the ignition yeah. switch. Um, and, and certainly once they, you know, once these players have, have retired in you know, whatever it is, a year or, or five years' time, whatever it might be, um, when their international careers are done, we'll certainly hear more about it then because, you know, that's when the towels will come out. But I think it's a massive um, hole from Cricket Australia that they haven't given a full version of events. They haven't given an account of themselves. And, they'll, and they've been presented with, you know, very, very sort of strong evidence that suggests that ball tampering may have been happening before Cape Town. And they've done literally nothing. They've completely ignored it because they just don't want to know. It's easier not to know. Yeah. Uh, so much detail. Jeff, you can get all of that and all the background into what happened for those who are over there. Um, in your book, uh, Steve Smith's Men, I also look forward to the telly movie on this at the end of the players' careers where Lockie Hume <laughs> plays David Peaver. Um, Jeff, thanks for joining us on the show. That was a great chat, and uh, we'll catch up with you soon. Weirdly enough, Gary Sweet is still playing Don Bradman. <laughs> I am available to play Faf Duplessis if required. Yeah. <laughs> Jeez, Jeff. It's funny that you should say that because I'm literally wearing a towel as we He goes, uh, we've already done an interview with this bloke uh, that never made it to air because our uh, former employers, let's blame them because we are cricketers who just blame other people for anything that goes wrong, um, lost the recording. Um, but we've got him back again because he's been gracious enough to uh, speak with us. Uh, I reckon there's a few reasons why. There's a few things he's done in grade cricket recently that uh, are, are worthy of conversation. We'll get into that. But um, let me just give a very brief intro here. He's already done. He's already played 20 innings at test level. He's got a ton and 350. He's the highest of 184. He's just on 50 first-class matches, 10 tons, 11 50s. Uh, he also describes himself on Instagram as a hole-in-one club member with a terrible short game. Um, this guy... Guy, um, is only 22 years old, <laughs> so uh, it's a fair bit, wow. um, 22 years old. And welcoming to the show, of course, Matthew Renshaw. Matt, welcome to the Grey Cricketer again. Yeah, thanks for having me again. Hopefully this one doesn't delete. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. He sounds like he's been in first slip before. Um, <laughs> Renners, can I call you Renners? You know, is that, uh, are we at that level yet? Or? 
Yeah, definitely. You can call me Renners. Okay, yeah. good. Thank you, Renners. Renners, tell us, um, tell us where you're at with uh, grade cricket at the moment. I've heard a few things about some of your exploits, but I'm not really sure. But I mean, what, like, what, what does grade cricket mean to you generally? Um, grade cricket is something I really enjoy going back to and, and playing with the guys I've played with. I've been at my club. I've been at them at the moment for about um, nearly ten years, so it's been a while. But um, it's a lot of fun going back and playing with some mates and just having a laugh, really. I think you're being a bit humble, if um, you know, Very humble. saying so, mm. mate. So you just go back, you have a bit of fun, you just mm. clonk it around, as you say on Twitter. But <laughs> you've li- you're literally breaking records. And didn't like you didn't you start playing when you were about six years old as well? Mm. I mean, it's been a big part of your life, surely. Mm. I- I'm, I'm going to just press you on this a little bit because you sound a bit too humble for me. Yeah, um, I I think I started playing sixth grade at about 13. So. Um, I was I was tiny. I think I was about five foot and playing with all these grown adults who were trying to bump me. So I bowled some half volleys and they were getting really annoyed when I either played and missed or nicked them through the slips before. What are you, what are your memories, Matt, of like of sixth grade at age thirteen? Like mm. you have some early memories of playing, mm. like not just so much from like the playing point of view. I'm sure that they would have bumped you, then bowled your fullies and stuff like that. But like socially speaking, you know, in Queensland, age thirteen, like what, what are you noticing there that's different from playing with kids? Um, I got sledged a lot for, for being 13 and I, got, I remember getting asked what flavour popper my, my mum and dad packed me for lunch that day and I quickly replied with no, I get Subway on cricket day and I was pretty happy with that reply as a 13 year old I like the idea Matt you're getting sledged for being 13 like you literally can't do anything about that you said you're not the same age as me so I will sledge you about it yeah, I think they probably fledged me about other things, but as yeah. a 13-year-old, I had no idea what they were talking about. Mate, do you sort of... I mean, I'll skip forward a bit before going back to grade cricket because there's nothing chronological about what we do or has any rhythm to it, but, like, do you still sort of feel like that now? I mean, like, you're you're very well-established now in the Australian cricket scene. People know who you are, what you're about, um, but you're only 22. Do you still feel like uh, the young guy or do you feel like a bit of a veteran? Um, occasionally feel like a veteran and I've got a lot of uh, close mates in, in the Timble team who are around my age who I still feel about 16 sometimes because <laughs> just get quite immature when I'm playing great cricket. It's quite funny. <laughs> um, Matt, I mean, you are the youngest Queensland player to score a shield century at 19. You're in the test squad at 20. I remember last time we spoke then that you, you probably never had been out of form before. You, you, your ascension to the top was, was so rapid that, I mean, there couldn't have been too many low points. I mean, obviously, you know, in the last sort of year or so, you know, the runs have been a little bit leaner than what you might like. I mean, have you have you sort of had to deal with, a, you know, a, a little bit of a form slump like this before? Uh, yeah, probably the last two years have been been something like that. I think last mm. year I didn't really score any runs, but this year I'm sort of just scoring runs in Great Creek and coming back up to, to Shield Creek and not scoring a run, which is quite annoying. Mm. What do you, what do you, like, how do you deal with that, you know, given it's kind of one of the first times it's occurred to you over a long period of time? Like, what are you, what are you doing at the moment to your game to kind of um, get it to the level I presume you want it to be at to um, get back into that national squad? I'm just trying to keep it as simple as possible and, and get, um, enjoy my cricket. Um, when I'm playing my best, I'm enjoying it. And, and I think that's where the freedom of great cricket comes in. I can just go out and express myself and, 
and not have the media or anyone pressuring me to score runs. It's just all about mm. me being out in the middle. Mm. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you are obviously CA contracted as well. I mean, do you feel like, I'm sure you're reading the press as well, and there's a lot of people calling for you to come back into the side. Do you feel like you're only a couple of scores away, you know, from, from making it back into the squad, you know, even for this series against India? Yeah, I think it's tough at the moment with there being no Red Bull cricket, mm. but I think there's always an opportunity whether whether you're playing great cricket, as, as you guys speak about, it's, you're only four knocks away from a second living game if you're in the second grade. So um, I think I've just got to score some runs at whatever level I play for. Mm. And, and so, like, with all that in mind, mate, like, like, where do you feel like your game is at at the moment? You've sort of, um, like, humbly said you feel like you've been out of form for two years kind of thing. But, like, do, do, you, do you feel like you're, you're close? I know, I know you, you've made better scores in the past than you have most recently. But, like, you know, where, where does your game feel like it's at at the moment? No, I'm feeling really good about my cricket. I'm just finding ways to get out, um, getting some pretty good balls, which is, is frustrating, but... Uh, no, I think it's just when I get that opportunity, like that one at AB where I got 89, if I'd have got a big 100 there, then we would probably wouldn't be speaking about my, my form at the moment, which yeah. is mm. it's just so so much cricket that um, it's sort of that cricket cliche. Yeah, mm. I know what you mean. I mean. We're doing all these shows at the moment as well, and everyone says we're out of form. Uh, mm. <laughs> um, mate, um, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty much the same thing. Mm. I, I'm really curious, mate. Like, I mean, you uh, you were over in the UAE with the Aussie side, and you unfortunately got uh, copped that um, knock to the head at short leg, got a bit of concussion. I sort of noted at the same time with Langer coming in as coach, there was a bit of conversation about the sort of um, character it took to make the Australian side and stuff like that. I mean... What do you think about the idea that like it's more than just runs and wickets that gets you into that Aussie side? Like, do you, do you sense you need to be a certain type of bloke as well to get in there? Um, I think so. I think you need to, to have the values of what the Australian team are trying to have at the moment. I think most most people in, in Australia at the moment are, are getting having those values. So um, I think now it's just about runs and wickets. Yeah, it's really yeah, it's really interesting, mate. Like, do you, do you have a sense like um, that uh, some people get maybe more of a saloon passage than others? You know, in in relation to that, like like you know, if you're a, if you're a good enough bloke, or some of the guys at the top think, oh, you're a nice enough guy, that your runs might be worth more than someone else's. Um, I don't really think so. I think maybe if if you have a better rig, then you get picked. So <laughs> uh, well done. That's good. That's good. Um, yeah. One thing that's got nothing to do with rigs at all, uh, you dealt with that extremely well, um, is, and you've talked about this before, you know, your, your dad uh, is a cricket coach, taught sports psychology uh, at Sheffield Hallam University, I believe, over in England, and he played a whole bunch of games with you growing up. I mean, my, you know, my dad just got home from work and gave me a few balls in the backyard, and God love him for it, but he wasn't giving me the sorts of games you were getting, um, and I'll speak to him about that a bit later. But uh, can you sort of describe the sorts of things you and your dad were doing growing up, um, just for any other dads out there wondering how they can get their son to play at age 20 for Australia? Um, it was loads of just little games, whether that be in the backyard or, or down at the, the local cricket club, just having fun and, and making up some games um, to do with cricket and not really taking it too seriously, which was, was a lot of fun. Uh, mate, obviously the Big Bash starting um, tomorrow, as a matter of fact. Um, in, in the past, you've, you've sort of been a bit more of a fringe player. You must be absolutely desperate to be getting out there and, and you know putting a name up in lights for the Big Bash. Um, I think I think you want to play as much cricket as you can, and, and I think Big Bash is something that's really exciting for for Australia, having such a, a good competition coming through. And I think 
play, playing that one game last year was a, a lot of fun. And if I can play more games this year, it'll be, be quite good as well. Have you spoken to 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 the the big guy Chris Lynn about the bat flip just yet for the for the first coin toss? Yeah. He's going to be the first one to uh, to do the honours. Have you spoken to him about? It? Is he looking forward to flexing the biceps and flipping the bat? Yeah, well, I played a, the club game on the weekend with him, and he he flipped his bat. Um, he lost it, so hopefully he can uh, win the one on Wednesday. But no, I think I think it's something interesting. But um, just trying to get kids involved in cricket. Yeah. Has there been much chat about technique for bat flipping? I mean, mm. I know we all sort of did it growing up. You know, normally, you'd go, you'd sort of pick hills, wouldn't you? They mm. sort of they're trying to kind of uh, convince us that it's an evenly weighted bat on both sides. Uh, like, what are you thinking? Like, w- would you sort of naturally lean towards hills, uh, even though it's fifty fifty? Mm. Um, yeah, I think I, I'm more of a flats kind of bloke. Um, oh, interesting. Hmm. I feel like the the back of the bat is actually good for for stopping the the um, the bat on the flats. Um, it's a bit like a roulette table if you sort of have a feeling you just go with it. Mm. Well, Faf Duplessis, actually, he, he gave someone the, the honour of doing the coin toss. And I like seeing Big Bash specialist guys, club cricketers, to come in and actually do the, do the bat flip, uh, you know, for the coin toss. That's not a question. That's just a statement of my own ramblings. Um, Matt, um, obviously, the Ashes next year, you spent some time this season playing for Somerset. I presume that was all in aid of, um, of getting some experience playing in England. So you, you surely must have your eyes on, on uh, England. And obviously, the next four uh, Shield games are with a Duke ball. So you must be uh, pumped up to um, you know, score some runs against the Duke ball to, to go over to England. Yeah, hopefully it'll be um, good to go over there. But cricket, you can you can never really um, pencil yourself in for anything. So um, I'll just try and score some runs. And if I, if I get picked, I get picked. If not, I'm not too too fussed about it. I'll trying to score more runs in the, in the future. Mm. Mate, I was, I was uh, living in London while you were in Somerset and can kind of attest to how much people were raving about you over there on mm. the county scene. You played, it was a sort of six-game stretch or something like that, three tonnes over there. One of them was sort of in a session on a really green mm. deck showing a kind of different side to your game. Can you sort of tell us about the differences between playing cricket over here and county cricket over there? You know, what did you learn from a technical point of view about playing over there? Um, the wickets in April are a lot of fun if, if you score runs. If not, you're sort of questioning yourself and, and why can't you score runs. But um, no, it, it was something different going out there and sort of just playing with freedom. And I think talking to some of the, the English guys who, who have scored so many county runs, they um, said that the, the chances to score runs on those green wickets are, are sort of just to play shots and, and make sure you're, you're going well with them. Fantastic, Matt. We'll move into the throwdowns section. I'm sure listeners are wondering why we haven't raised the absolute elephant in the room yet, but that's because all of our questions relate to this particular innings. I'll kick it off. Um, you played for Toomble recently. That's your grade club. You've hit 345 in first grade. It was against Winner Manly. 273 balls, 38 boundaries, 12 sixes. It was a great record, eclipsing Wade Townsend. I guess my question is, when you went back to the club and were asked how you went that day, did your first reply with the team score <laughs> uh, yeah you definitely got to go with the team score to start um, and then people sort of go oh someone must be what runs and you, you sort of like go ah oh, yeah uh, a couple of boys got a 90 and a 70 which was, was good for the team <laughs> did you have anyone who deliberately didn't ask how you went as well I just yeah. wanted to talk about the team yeah um I'll wait a second. The, the Queensland coach texted me and said, oh, how'd you go today, mate, at, at 5.30? And 
No, I think he knew. I just said, yeah, the team went really well. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> uh, all right, Matt, I just want to know, uh, what was easier for you, scoring, scoring 184 versus Pakistan in a dead rubber SCG test or 345 not out against a pumped-up winner Manly first-grade side? Um, probably the, the winner Manly side. They're bowling really well, and I think... <laughs> <laughs> Any ball had my name on it with the with the new ball. <laughs> um, um, Matt, uh, you, you said in an interview with Wisden recently that during uh, without Adam Collins, actually friend of the show, that um, during long long innings you sing whatever song you have in your head. So, for example, in One Shield Hundred, you were singing Redbone by Childish Gambino. Um, what were you singing during your three hundred and forty-five for Toomble? The entire score to HMS Pinafore, Fantasia. What was in your head? Uh, I think it was Umbop. Um, wow. <laughs> and you stayed in. That's good. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. Um, all right, Matt. Uh, were you embracing your inner rare side by having a glass of champagne after said 345 knot? Or was this an alpha power play to show off to your club teammates so you can afford a glass of Chateau Neuf de Pap thanks to your contract with CA? Um, no, I was actually, I was halfway through a Canadian club when they brought the, the champagne in and, and Dad came in and I was, um, I wasn't wearing much, which was quite controversial at the time. Um, <laughs> but, um, no, he brought in a, a glass of champagne and I sort of thought I had to, which, um, is great. And at Toomble, we have a, a rule, you can only drink with your left hand and, and Dad proceeded to start drinking the champagne with his right hand and oh, big fine. first day we quickly quickly made him um, skull the rest of that champagne. <laughs> <laughs> the inside word on mm. Renshaw's 345. Um, I, I don't know how this will go down, but um, Matt, you made your test debut at 20, you were dropped at 21, recalled at 22, dropped at 22, but you can't wait till you're 23. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's the end of the season, so I'm not sure what will really happen then. Um, no, hoping for some good some good birthday presents and runs. Mm. Nice one, mate. Thanks for dealing with all of that, Matt, um, especially at the top with a couple of those questions about character. But you, you're doing really well. It's great to talk to you. It's great to um, actually just be reminded of how young you are as well and everything you've achieved in the game. Just before we called you, we sort of said, oh, I'm sure this bloke's going to score between eight to 10,000 test runs. So <laughs> do remember us, and we'll just make sure we hold up our end of the bargain when we actually record and post this, unlike <laughs> our one at um, Fox Sports. But thanks for coming on, mate, and all the best for the rest of the year. Mm. No worries. Thanks for having me. I think it might just skid on. I refer to the great cricketer here and I'll say, this will do a little bit early. <laughs> now, he goes, you don't associate budgie smugglers, swimwear, that archetypal Australian image of the mm. bronze dozzy, etc. with the UK, do you? Not always. Not always. However, mm. if you did follow the Budgie Smuggler account last week, you would have seen that the CEO, Linny, and some of his friends, all of whom have good rigs, it must be said, and that's mm -hmm. not a sponsored comment, that's just my own view, mm. uh, were on the Today Show mm. with Carl, etc., in Shoreditch in the UK. No way. Modelling the swimwear gear. Unbelievable, Jeff. Unbelievable scenes. Mm. They were doing it because, as you can tell with us being on the here as well, they want to flog gear over Christmas and rightly gear. so. they got to flog gear over Christmas. So they do more than just swimwear. You don't have to just wear cozies, togs, budgie smugglers. I don't right. even know. See, now you can tell it's not a sponsored comment because mm. I'm not meant to say cozies or togs, but I did, and I'm sorry, Linny. Let's mm. continue anyway. Mm. Budgie here. smugglers is what they're called. Yeah. They have non-swimwear, though. 
He goes, right, they've got okay. Hawaiian shirts, they're all right. fun, they're yes. colourful, they've got socks, mm-hmm. um, men and women, male, right, okay. female. So it's Christmas time, it's Christmas wear, budgie smuggler Christmas wear. Mm. What you're saying is get your jingle balls into a pair of budgie smugglers mm. or socks, you know, or if shirts. it's particularly lonely Christmas yep. or shirts. I yep. don't know what you like to do in your own time, but get them in there. Exactly. Budgie smuggler. Colours in, a lot of Hawaiian style stuff. Yeah. Customise it if you want. Retro cricket gear. Uh, yeah. You've got no excuse mm. from a clothing point they of view. They have options. From a clothing point of view, mm. yeah, you have, you have excuse no excuses. In other parts of your life, yeah. you've got other excuses, you know. I didn't hit it. I smashed it. It carried. It didn't carry. Whatever yeah. you want to do. Whatever you want to lie I don't to yourself. play on the front foot. Yeah. Your hands oh, I listen to these guys on this podcast and they tell me what to do. Mm. Whatever excuse you need, but with, with you know, for you know, Christmas wear, budgie smuggler, no excuse. I got no excuse. It's budgiesmuggler.com.au. It has been referred to as uh, the, the best uh, sports writing tribute to, to a particular sport since Fever Pitch. Uh, does it do anything to enhance literature would be another question. Another. <laughs> I wouldn't even call it literature, really. Hashtag ask TGC. This is going to be, we're just going to take a week off over Christmas because uh, Christmas Day this year falls on a Tuesday, which is the day that we record both the Channel 7 show and the podcast. Um, so obviously we're not going to be doing that on Christmas Day, but we are going to commit to that on New Year's Day because we'll be here in uh, in Melbourne filming uh, filming the show. And, and New also- Year's Eve and New Year's Day is overrated. Uh, yep. Yep. Says the guy who's got a kid. Um, so, so, uh, <laughs> so we, uh, we're just going to take the week off, but we're going to be, uh, getting you through. Obviously, there's the big bash starts tomorrow. So there's so much, there's going to be cricket nonstop. Yeah. Relentless cricket endlessly. Mm. Um, but, uh, so, so much to talk about. So we're going to take the week off for Christmas. Hope you're having a good Christmas, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, you know, yeah. So still, genuine. Yeah. So genuine. Yeah. Mm. We're nice to our fans. We're nice to the fans and they're nice mm. to us yeah. in kind. Mm. All right. Um, Pez, the Ask TGC this week, uh, I'm going to go down a bit of a different route Ooh. because um, uh, several questions came in just asking, well, let me read them to you and okay. you'll see. So Liam Freelay says, do you blokes actually like Virat Kohli? James McElligott said, who is a worse bloke, Dave Warner or Virat Kohli? Seth says, when Aussie sledge its fighting spirit, uh, go on champ, when it's Verat, Broad, KP, Stain, etc., you lot have a cry and say, show some class. It's a gentleman's sport. Verat plays like an Aussie and you can't handle that. Why is there double standards? So what I'm saying is that people only really seem to be interested in who's a good bloke, who's yeah. a bad bloke. Yeah. There's so much cricket going on and this yeah. test series so far has been back-to-back like really interesting test matches. But no one is talking about that. All anyone cares about is who's a good bloke. Heroes, villains. Yes. Yep, the hero's journey. So, um, first of all, you know, there's, there's got to be some better hashtag Ask TJC out there, mm. of which I'm saving for the TV show. <laughs> <laughs> Not the first time we've taken away from the cast to embellish a TV show. No, that's not true. The TV show goes for like 25 minutes and this is what? This is an hour plus. Yes, hour plus. Yeah. Of, uh, of key kind of uh, unrefined meandering content. It's just a conversation. Just a conversation. Just a conversation. So, uh, I mean, so like, what's what's the deal? I mean, first of all, do you, I don't know if we need to actually answer every single question. Yeah. Um, but I, I take Seth's point in that, yes, there are certainly double standards because Virat Kohli, if he was Australian, probably Prime Minister, he'd be celebrated yep. in a similar a similar way that, to what Dave Warner was by uh, certain sectors of, uh, you know, the Australian cricket uh, cons- consuming public. Um, barbecue land. It's barbecue land. Mm. So, uh, but but why do we only care about who the good blokes are? Is the sport struggling? Is the code struggling so much in Test match cricket that we only want to hear chat and we don't really care about Kawaja's gritty seventy, you know, to get us into a winning position or mm. you know, 
you know, who's good, who's like, it's just all. I, I can I can only gather. So the first thought I have is that like I think about other sports, and I, I while other sports do talk about their characters and lord their characters a little bit, you think about the NBA or mm-hmm. Premier League. They do talk about the personalities of players a little bit, but I wouldn't say anywhere near as much because there's actually things going on mm. in those sports. Mm-hmm. Like there, there's some more kind of tangible, visceral, uh, like viscerally, like deducible actions that they're doing. Whereas right. in cricket, you know, like literally, <laughs> there's not a lot of physical movement and activity <laughs> happening. Right. So from a TV perspective, it's just it's, there's a lot of close-ups, there's mm. a lot of sound, there's a lot of chat, mm. and so it kind of gravitates towards a more kind of like mm. a human interest mm-hmm. kind of uh, like pursuit, I guess. Are you saying that both teams need to have professional debaters on either side? I th- Well, I mean, look <laughs> at Payne yesterday. Look at how much like PR, how much of a PR bump you can get mm. by just stringing a few words together. Mm. Like how many times have you played cricket, he goes, mm. and like all manner of things can be happening on the field, right? Say you're batting. Right. All manner of things could be happening. The wicket could be playing up. The mm-hmm. bowlers could be doing things. You, you, the, the, your teammates are positioned pretty much square on, mm. so they can't see what's actually happening. The ball could be swinging. It could be spinning. Uh, the game could be in a precarious position. You get dismissed. Mm. When you walk back in, <laughs> to the, do you know where this is going? To the, yes. to the dressing room or to the yeah. pavilion area, yeah. there are so many things they could ask for a briefing on. Yes. About the game, yes. and invariably, like Family Feud, the number one thing that's asked is, "What are they saying?" Scoreboard says, "Yeah." <laughs> What's the chat? You know, like we are just we're just fascinated with the things that are said on field. I'm not sure yeah. it's ever going to go away. Uh, mm. Jeff's kind of said earlier, it's not a particularly Australian thing. That, that, uh, yeah, that may or may not be true. Uh, we, mm. we do get particularly interested, I think, in Australia well, about I who's think, a good bloke and who's a shit bloke. I think it is an Australian thing because we've sort of we've sort of hung our hat on the reputation yeah, it has of, to be. Yeah. On like, and like hanging, yeah, yeah. yeah, no, it's ours, it's ours, uh, only ours. It's a business model. <laughs> yeah, I think I think there's so many interesting things about that. I think like CA have. Um, they have also released this. It's, I mean, it's almost propaganda that they've they've got the nice guy Tim Cap- Tim Payne as captain there behind the stumps. Yeah. Jeff Lemon says that just like that that he you know he would be very aware that the stump mics have turned way up and everything that he's said is going to be pushed out there. Mm. You know, Demarcus Boogie Harris you know, standing there at bat pad. I've also known mm. that. So yeah. we've um, like not mentioned his sixty or seventy once on the show. Once. We've mentioned we've called him Demarcus Boogie Harris yes. eight times and talked about. Yes, him we're trying to get circuit. that trending. Yes. Yes, <laughs> it's, just, it's just data. I'm just giving. It's data. interesting. I mean, you painted that scenario very eloquently about me, you know, batting and took me back to some very happy and dark times, that all, all in one motion. There, but like, yeah. it is a thing that, like, when you walk out and you say, well, "What are they saying out there?" Because yeah. it's just like, am I? Am I to brace myself for someone to say something mean to me? Yeah. And, that, and that's – is yeah. it just because cricketers get bored? I mean, like Steve Waugh sort of said it's mental disintegration. If they can get – if you can get 1% yeah. out of them by thinking not about cricket, about the skill they're executing and actually, you know, distract them, then, you know, the job is done. Or is it just because, like, you have an opportunity to get away with it because it's cricket? I think that, like, we're – it's the reverse of being like um, confident, like we're all afraid of being bullied so much because we know how unpleasant the experience is that we then as Australians flip that and go, or maybe not Australians, maybe more people, but I think in Australia especially, mm. we flip it and we go like, well, if it's so unpleasant to experience, then I'm going to do that to somebody else mm. because then they will therefore play badly. It's, mm. just a, it's a basic formula. It's a basic calculation. Mm. Uh, and then Tim Payne kind of like lit up this other way mm. yesterday. Australia might win the game and mm. 
be kind of the funny, graceful guys at the same time? Or what mm. are we going to do with it? We'll no doubt flip out as soon as we lose something. Yes. Um, I've got no doubt that like in, you know, 12, 24 months, We'll see a, an uprising again of the uh, mm. of the uh, of the unrelenting mm, alpha. Of the alpha. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, like he will be back, <laughs> no, and hopefully we will be here for that. It's like part seven of the Planet of the Apes: the uprising of the unrelenting. Alpha. That's what that's what we're saying. I'm not sure where Australian cricket is in the Simpsons episode season, like seasons yeah. at the moment. But we're kind of in like season eight at the moment, and there's <laughs> okay. been a full flipping of the characters. Right. You know, or like Doctor Who having a woman. I'd actually, I've got no idea about Doctor Who if that's even close oh, at okay. all. But like, we're in season eight. You know, okay. of Australian cricket. There's just been a little uptick uh, in um, in what's happening in the plot. So yeah. I'm, I'm I'm sure you know, like Carl Kennedy will be back, or Paul Robinson, or whatever, <laughs> the, the unrelenting alpha. Uh, all right, well, uh, we'll sign this one off. Uh, Dave will be back uh, from Berlin after we send him off that, uh, over there to, on a, a fact-finding yeah. mission to see if there's any uh, cricketers happening in Berlin. Almost definitely not. Uh, Merry Christmas to you and your loved ones uh, from all of us at The Grey Cricketer, uh, recording the uh, episode three of the Channel 7 show this afternoon, uh, and then we'll be back in a couple of weeks' time on New Year's Day. So we'll see you then. <laughs>